Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. I hope your allergies are treating you well this morning, as mine are. Um, allergies rarely treat someone well. <laughs> so I'm doing, I seem to be doing better than you because for some reason this has been a light year for me. <laughs> yeah. For listeners, we're in Maryland and Maryland is a, called a transition zone. So it has some of the highest different, different types of pollens and more pollen than a lot of other places in the country. So we get to, you get to hear at least Pat this morning uh, <laughs> battling, battling through all that that sounds like. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd like to, to hear some of your thoughts this morning uh, on imaginative literature. Got to slow down to say It's that easy one. for you to say. <laughs> I know we've, we've just, just kind of, I think hinted at that a couple of times as we've talked on these conversations. Um, but I know, uh, you and I have talked about it more in person and, um, that's something that you find, uh, not only helpful for your own faith, but also, uh, important for, for others. And so I, I'm curious, um, just how, how you've kind of stumbled into this as, as an important thing, um, and, and how it's been helpful for you, um, in, in general. So I don't know, maybe, maybe a little bit of, uh, why you see it as important, and then I'd love to hear some of the history of of uh, where where you've stumbled through different different books. Yeah, great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, for me, um, stumble is the right word. I so I came to faith in 1973, a long time ago, <laughs> and um, I really I did not know. I didn't know squadoosh about anything even though i was raised uh in a good church tradition but i just wasn't paying attention i'd left all that behind i was in college in my freshman year and uh, of course once i uh, trusted christ i said now what <laughs> so I, right at the end of my freshman year I really it's like now what uh but i knew something profound had change i just didn't know what actually now i think about it uh, so wilberforce when he came to faith he called it the great change and uh, it was within a short while he and his journal wrote god has put before me two great callings the uh, abolition of the slave trade and the reformation of manners manners is uh, an old english word for cultures so the uh, the reform of cultures of which they had in his life was used by God to do both. So I came to faith and God put before me nothing. <laughs> very, so very there's the big difference. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I went back home to Saginaw, Michigan and got a job in a foundry, which paid pretty well back then and uh, bought a motorcycle 
and hung out with my friends and went to parties. So it's a funny story. So I went to, to a bar with some of them. And they thought I wasn't going to drink that night because um, I was a Christian now. And um, so yeah, it was a loud place. And some of my friends come and go, what's the deal, man? I said, I'm into God now. I said, that's cool, man. That's cool. So I come back to Western Michigan University for my sophomore year. And uh, so back then uh, I played football. And so you have to come back a few weeks early for the dreaded football camp. And as soon as I hit campus, day before camp, man, I just had, then I had a, a great change. It, Looking back, it was the spirit of God saying, "Okay, um, was that fun? Now we're now we're going to get now we're going to get going." And I could not sleep or eat or drink for I think about three days. I was just so I, I made it through those couple of days, and then I finally found the uh, got a hold of the person who had led me to faith, and it all broke just like that. It's like the sun came out, the cause broke had a healthy appetite, and um, he began to mentor me. But also, I don't know how, whether he handed it to me, but I uh, picked up uh, the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. I didn't know who C.S. Lewis was. I didn't know what this meant, out of the silent planet. But the next thing you know, I'm walking along a path following a man named Ransom who is suddenly kidnapped and put on a spaceship. And um, I was enthralled, just enthralled. And <clears throat> so I wasn't, I didn't set out to go, now I'm going to learn about imaginative literature. <laughs> but <laughs> there I was reading imaginative literature. Now, so for listeners, by the way, uh, Pat and I don't have a script here that we're following. Uh, so a lot of this is just all of a sudden coming to me in a flash. But I was a um, psychology major in college. I used to joke that, gosh, where the rest, where's the rest of my team all during the day? I don't see them in class. <laughs> and uh, not that that was a, such a, you know, academically rigorous major, but I was just fascinated with why people do what they do. And I thought I was going to be one day a psychiatrist and and so on and so forth. But uh so I'm also reading in the midst of this Walden Two by B.S. Skinner, which also is imaginative literature. Uh, Skinner believed in a purely mechanistic um, universe, no God. And then I'm reading this imaginative literature about these beings and God. You know, as a believer, and even a freshly minted one, it wasn't difficult for me to be to go, oh. but you can imagine this, um, you know, for those who have read Out of the Silent Planet, you never really see the earth the same way again. And then you begin to go, wow. And then, of course, Paralandra was dazzling. And, um, and by the time I stumbled around to Genesis, I it just imagined it differently than even some of my friends who had been in the faith for a long time who would 
I mean, they really were, they were really fixated on, it was Eve that did it. It's a diagonal women. And, um, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> and that's why women shouldn't teach and women shouldn't. And yeah, Eve ate and then she took down Adam and, you know, and I just would go, huh? And also they, they, they seemed to think it was about a two to 10 minute conversation between the serpent and Eve. So she doesn't come off as particularly bright or attractive or engaging or, and then Adam's kind of the dope who comes along afterward. Now the dope part of men and Pat and I, we can attest to, there's some evidence of that, <laughs> but so that was imaginative literature. Yeah. And, um, I just never got away from it. Uh, so I became very attracted to Lewis's writing. And then, um, but I never, it was years before I began to ponder. So why is this so not just attractive, but necessary? Mm. Yeah, so you're. It's, it's kind of cool to hear your reading of Genesis. It's like, uh, I think it's so easy today to default to this very literal um, understanding. You know, my my mind was the opposite. I I read it as a as a literal thing, and and I don't know if I would say I was strictly raised that it was that, but often it was read in such a way. You know, God created the world, six days, rested on the seventh. Um, yeah, there was this several minute conversation with, with the serpent. Um, and then it, then it, it took years for me to begin to see, oh, maybe there's more here than, than strictly <laughs> written down. You know, maybe there is, um, maybe this isn't meant to be an exact scientific textbook. Maybe there is a hint of, of literary, uh, art here. Um, and, and just how we are to read it and understand it. Um, and then, then my imagination began to take off and, and began to, to ponder some of the, I don't know, maybe the deeper or, or uh, implicit meanings of Genesis. And so it's, it's really cool to hear you almost had the opposite because you had this, uh, this, this wider imagination. When you read Genesis, you almost like naturally picked up on some of those those pieces. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good, we made a couple of really good points here. Um, but that, yeah, um, the old adage is um, experience then explanation. Mm, mm -hmm. And so in my, um, let me see, I guess I'm going on 50 years of being a Christian. So I have a little bit of miles on the odometer, and I'd find that um, there were people would talk about and explain imaginative literature. It was often to people who hadn't read any imaginative literature. So it kind of turned into this didactic exercise. Uh, here's three points. Write them down here. Bullet point one. Uh, imaginative literature is imaginative. We all write it down. Mm -hmm. Well, that's imaginative. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh you know we joked about it before but you don't you just don't you don't see this in the Bible. you don't see adam meet eve the picture there is a groping and touching and experimenting and discovery 
And then after they make love, you don't see God rushing in and say, let me tell you, by the way, this is a picture of the gospel. Got that? Right, here's the second point. I am God, but I'm three persons, one nature. Yeah, write that down. Three persons. Please capitalize P. <laughs> sharing one nature. And uh, you just uh, depicted uh, that I'm going to marry you. Now you can imagine Adam and Eve. It doesn't say they were perfect. It says they were very good. So in this very good, and they're created as adults. So they have... You know, the cognitive ability. I'll tell you what, I take a whole lot of cognitive ability from them not to look one another. After having made love, look at look at God and go, what in heaven's name is going on here? <laughs> it just it's just he doesn't rush in and explain the experience. And they experience something so wonderful, they decide, let's have some more of that. Let's have some more of that. It's almost like uh, you know what they used to say about good Chinese food, which I found to be true. I mean, you really enjoy it, but within a couple hours, you're ready for more. It was. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you said something interesting that um, that I stumbled onto. You said the literal meaning, and it was the Inklings group of J.R.R. Tolkien and Owen Barfield in C.S. Lewis, who, well, it was actually probably Owen Barfield, who was most instrumental in going back before the Enlightenment to point out that this notion that there's a literal and a metaphorical reason, uh, rendering um, of anything that's written, and these are two different things, is a, is a product of the Enlightenment. And it's really a product of, well, if we have more time to talk about it, of, left hemisphere, a bias for the left hemisphere, that in the Hebrew mind, you think with your heart, you feel with your brain, you, it's a seamlessness, and uh, the literal and metaphorical were seamless, the Hebrew word tom. They, were, they were never ever said, well, you know, I learned the literal meaning, but I didn't know there was an, you used a really good word, by the way, implicit meaning, and in fact, the entirety of Genesis is in the beginning of it, which the book of beginnings is implicit. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of what? <laughs> God. Elohim. Who, uh, hmm? Elohim can be a plurality of beings. It can be majesty. It can be both. It can be one. Because uh, Elohim gods are also referred to as the gods in the later on in Deuteronomy. So you go, well, what is it? What's what's that? Everything you read there is literally true, packed with implicit meaning, both and simultaneously. Hmm. And that's just for the opening words, in the beginning God. So what you have is more of um, Genesis is shapes, barely recognizable shapes start to emerge out of a primordial soup, out of a primordial 
chaos. And you don't even learn why, why would it be chaos? Now that is what you experience in great imaginative literature. That you don't know why this man's being ransomed. I mean, being kidnapped. And why going to this planet? Why, 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 why? But you, but you don't, you don't check out. You just, in fact, I remember with Paralandra, it was going past midnight and I never pulled an all-nighter in college and I played ball. I needed my rest, but I was just like, I can't put this book down. <laughs> wow. Yeah, see, that's different than saying, Pat, we're going to teach you about imaginative literature. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that, there's, there's something about, I, I, I think the, the combination here um, of uh, the imagination growing, but also holding, holding this idea, and, and you've talked about it before, but the whole cloud of unknowing, you know, embracing yeah. this sense of, I can only imagine so far, um, but because some would see the danger of, well, Mike, I mean, come on, do you, do you really believe this or that? And it's, I think there's, they're missing the point. The, the point is that there, there are elements about God and in, in our creation, the universe that we cannot, we cannot know. We can only imagine. And so we're only going to get close to the truth, uh, but we're, we're not going to know in full. And so that, that's, I guess what I'm saying is, I, I think that's okay. Like that's actually that's actually good because it allows us to to still uh, grasp pieces and and to to actually enjoy more this this faith that we believe in as opposed to really trying to stick to the what do we know for sure you know what do we know exact truths about and and that's just kind of kind of fooling ourselves if we believe that we can we can really find those things and and stick to only those things yes really well said that um so along the way somewhere um i stumbled upon the book by I, I believe his name is daniel taylor a book that got him in a lot of hot water because he said what you just said the book is called the myth of certainty oh boy i'm intrigued now, well, you know, his problem was, he was right, not his problem was, he, well, he was right. The problem was, he was, uh, at that time, I believe he was at Bethel College, but anyway, he was in an evangelical college, and he just got, uh, I remember him being uh, just readers, at least liberal. He wasn't liberal. What he was saying was, what you were just saying that certainty, scientific certainty, is a notion that the Enlightenment thinkers said we can arrive at we can arrive at scientific certainty, and that's what truth is all about. The rest is just mere opinion. So but if but that's ridiculous because uh so, so uh you know Daniel uh, Daniel Taylor in the myth of certainty. He's just saying certainty is a is a myth. Now, a nice uh, bookend for 
for Taylor is uh, Leslie Newbigin, Leslie English spelling, L-E-S-S-L-I-E, Leslie Newbigin, in his uh, easy-to-read book, Proper Confidence. What do you make of that title of that book? Mm. Thinking there's a there's a there's a time to be confident and a time to to not, or there's a you know as we are to be confident, there's a way to do that that is uh, that is more proper. Yes, and he's saying there's no such thing as certainty. There's proper confidence. So in other words, we can be, and I know it's going to be difficult for some. Proper confidence says this. Uh, we ought to be uh, confident. Confident is the word for a synonyms for trust, faith. But it's important because true, genuine faith is confident. So uh, um, am I confident? Uh, do I have am I am, do I have a confidence in my wife Kathy? Of course I do. Am I absolutely certain what's going to happen in the future? No. But I'm not losing any sleep because I have what's called a proper confidence. That's a, that's the saying. That's the that's that picks up notions of the of the cloud of unknowing, and that's difficult for a lot of. I, I actually think for people in the tradition that really bias the left hemisphere because the left hemisphere wants certainty. It thinks either or, and and what if what we fail to remember is James saying, listen, there's nothing wrong with planning to go to a city and do business and make a profit, except the whole thing ought to be done under this caveat. And what is it? If the Lord wills. What does that mean? Your life is a vapor. You may not be alive five seconds from now. So what kind of certainty do you have, certainty do you have about anything? In pre-enlightenment traditions, you can say, well, I'm, my confidence is in the Lord and whom I will meet. And what will that be like? <laughs> it's beyond description. Well, I like that just that, that a lot, that idea of proper confidence. Uh, there, there's this, uh, uh, this kind of notion of particularly Christians as arrogant. You know, How do you know? Uh, or, or the the old question, right? Do you know today that if you died, you would go to heaven or hell? You know, like that. That seems to be the the kind of the old school. But there's this sense of, well, well, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know that? And and um, I've I've struggled with that myself. Of just this this kind of like, well, what what I is that is that an accurate way that I would describe my faith? Yes, I know that I'm going to heaven, and I've I just wrestled with that. And I, I've I've re- rephrased that with people to say, no, uh, I don't, I don't think I use the confident, but I I've said, well, I, I I believe there's a God, and I believe that that Jesus came to save save us for our sins, and I do I put my trust and hope that if anything's going to save me from this eternal hell, it would be Jesus. So so like my faith and hope is in Christ alone, and I, and I think that very much is is a long-winded way to say what you just said which is my confidence is in is in god uh, i'm confident that i will but i don't know if i could say oh i i know i'm doing this yeah it's good yeah that wasn't long-winded at all it's better than um 
certainly better than what I was trying to. You can see why there's there's an inadequacy in uh, literalist or I would call it wooden language. Um, so another way to put it is this, that am I confident Jesus is uh, the second person of the triune God who has saved me? Yes, of course I am. But confidence means while I'm confident, I trust in that way, then I know he is God. My imagination of who he is and how he works might be off. Mm. Certainty doesn't allow for that. Mm. That's what it means, Pat, is Jesus is God. My take on what that means might not be, might not square with the infinite God. And why what, might it not square with the infinite God? For that very reason. <laughs> He's infinite. He's infinite. Yeah, that's and, good uh, to say it. So it was Owen Barfield whose book Poetic Diction was, um, C.S. Lewis said, it changed the entire outlook of J.R. Token. So all three of these were in the uh, Inklings, along with Charles Williams, who really wrote some wild imaginative literature. But uh, the title of uh, Barfield's book tells you what he's going after. So Poetic has the idea of imaginative, um, and diction has to do with language or writing, including writing. So it's a book about imaginative writing or literature or language. And it basically is this, is, at least as Token described it, is what we are trying to describe or give language to is well beyond infinitely beyond what you can literally say. Even though what you literally say is literally true. Therefore, what it means to be human is to have an imaginative capacity that the animal kingdom doesn't have, and you try to give voice to it. Yeah, but you can only make an attempt. You can only try. You can't. You can't explain in full. That's what you're saying. That's yeah. it. That's it. So I keep a little poem in front of me that Kathy gave me many years ago. And how do I love thee? So it's it's very familiar, but it's basically it's it's saying it, it's saying exactly what you think it's saying is I I love you, Mike, but but. Literal, literally, words are inadequate, but that doesn't mean you don't give a stab. But then the words have to be imagine it so, so it might be, for example, you know, as the butterfly, blah, 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 goes on, you go, butterfly? Are you literally saying I'm a butterfly? <laughs> so oh, we've lost man. all that. And <clears throat> so I give her and uh, my kids, um, Madeline Langell's poem to a long loved love. And I uh, put it in my Christmas letter every year to our kids and to Kathy. And I used to read it to him, but I couldn't get through it without crying. 
And so I figured until they're my age, um, they're probably going to say, oh, man, he's gonna, dad's going to cry again. So we, here we let's go. Get, here we go. Let's get through this. So I thought, well, I'll stop ringing until they, until they grow up. And, uh, which is really endearing, by the way, because a man who read a lot of imaginative literature was um, Winston Churchill. And they also say that Churchill, he just cried easily. And uh, for all sorts of, for the, for, for the great things, for, his, for his, the love of his life, his wife, or for walking through uh, uh, streets of London, blocks that were after a bombing just to, because of the horrific damage. But he was a man who, I think with imaginative literature, you begin to feel more deeply. And when you feel more deeply, you, uh, your imagination widens and um, the tears come more easily. Jeremiah, weeping prophet, um, um, Christ, the tears. And they can be tears of joy, or they could be tears of uh, great sorrow, or tears of lament. But I just began to find, and I couldn't put, I couldn't put language to it at first, but I found the further I went in my faith, and you know, we talked before, I'm, I'm an evangelical Catholic, little c, if you want to put it in that language, but I just found that um, my friends in evangelical, um, they didn't weep about anything. The, the wow was gone. But they were certain they knew Jesus, and they were certain about who didn't. And um, and they were and they were certain about, you know, we're here to uh, reach these people because now we're saved and they're lost. And of course, all those things are literally true. But they are so woefully lacking in uh, imagination. So I I have found routinely. That if you begin to go into the deep mystical meaning of marriage, depicting the portal into the gospel, in fact, show someone the statue of the ecstasy of Teresa. There's a lot to just go. That is that's porn. You say, well, actually, no. Teresa is a mystic. She loved Jesus. But she understood she was married to him. Married? I'm a, what do you mean? I'm a guy. How, how can I be married to Jesus? He's a guy. <laughs> I mean, I've really had people say that. <clears throat> and I've also found, here's, for me at least, well, I don't think I'm alone in this. The why for imaginative literature is simply this the older we get, the harder it is to fill our heart with wonder. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Chesterton put it this way. I'm going to butcher him because I can't pull it up right now. But he said, the world will never want for wonders, but it will want for the kind of wonder that we're talking about. <clears throat> what, what do you mean by that? Well, take a stab at it. Um, travel can be a wondrous thing. Um, just about anything, actually, can be a, a wondrous thing. It could be, uh, you know, finding the uh, 10 best restaurants in Annapolis. 
you can't be uh, I just wonder how do you how do we I just find it fascinating the ex, the explosion of the travel industry that's a wondrous thing to uh, you know climb a mountain in Tibet and then take snaps out of take a selfie there you are in Bali Bali and the next thing you know hey we're down here in the Caribbean <clears throat> while you're freezing your little noogies off up in the middle <laughs> I mean but but um that's what chess Jim is getting at. The world will never lack for wonders, but that's, these are all pale in the wonder of being betrothed to her husband. Mm. And if that wonder exceeds the wonder of knowing God, it's, it's called in the Bible idolatry, a word that you hardly hear anymore in the evangelical, well, in American Christianity. You, you would find Christians to be insulted. Yeah, my, you, call, you say my travel's idolatry? <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> no, yours was actually, I heard about what you did last weekend. It's uh, driving through the night both ways. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great if you can pull it off. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was not quite a vacation, but it was a great, it was a really, really but, uh, fulfilling time. Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean by, uh, you know, Christopher West is, is doing marvelous work. Uh, his most recent book is really the best, uh, I'm in my opinion, Our Bodies Tell God's Story. And the and the thrust of but of his all of his work has been that it's not that we don't talk enough about sex, sexuality, our body, really start with why we have no physical body, is that we don't talk enough about it. We don't go far enough into it. Now, if you're in a porn saturated society where the statistics we've talked about before, even in the Christian world, of uh, even in vocational ministers, you know, over a third deep into porn, 70% of men, 50% of women, then you're not going to be able to go far enough into it. It's just like people who, if you know, they've known friends who are alcoholics or they come out of a family that was alcoholic or what have you, or they themselves have battled alcohol. They're just not going to go far enough into wine, and um, there's not. And so you can say, God, he giveth wine to gladden the heart, and they're going to go, no. I know 16 bad stories that happen with that. And the problem is, is you haven't gone into the wonder of it. You've seen the wantonness of it kind of a two-chapter gospel that starts with the fall rather than creation. And so it, anything, I, I just think that the world will never lack for wonders. And I've just got friends who, you know, they know Jesus, but they're, but what really enraptures their soul, it could be uh, triathlons, it could be, I mean, the ramping up of frenetic activity is tells me they've never 
They ought to be kidnapped and taken to Mars. That's a space trilogy reference for those who have not read. Yeah. Out of the sound plan. <laughs> Don't take that literally. He did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because if you end up doing with Elon Musk, I doubt Musk is going to look back and say, no, that's the silent planet. See, Chesterton also talked about it. When you when you don't read imaginative literature, everything becomes literal. And so the backyard I'm looking at right now, it's it's literally grass and dirt and trees and it's lovely, but it's literally those things. And it is. But Chesterton points out in orthodoxy, the problem is in the modern world, it's nothing more than that. So there are, it's not stuffed with spiritual beings back there. Or as C.S. Lewis likes to use it in The Great Divorce, when you go to that valley just before ascending to heaven, the, the grass is spectacular. But if you don't know God, you, your feet can't bear standing on it. And it cuts you. And you oh, and what Lewis and others are saying is, I would think they're suggesting the book, the good question, the better question is not, do you know you're going to, where you go tonight if you were to die? But could you stand heaven if that's where you woke up? Hmm. Because you don't give evidence in this life that you do. Well, like one of the things that jumped out to me was thinking about even even just the grass is a good example. You know, when you read uh, imaginative literature, it's almost it's, it's training your your mind to think beyond. You know, like why 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 did the author just mention that? You know, why was that why was that there? There's I, I gotta hold on to something there. You know, um, like you know what do they say? All, all great authors they don't mention any details unless they're important to the story. You know, so you know right. that 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 thing is going to come back. So you sort of hold it there, but it it trains you to see beyond what's what's just written. You know, there's there's something deeper here, and I think, you, you know, you could take that too far. Oh gosh, I saw the blade of grass move. What's God trying to tell me? You know, I think that may be too far, but but there is a sense to which you can look at the grass and go, oh man, there's there's something beyond this. There is something maybe a a, 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 something deeper here that, that God is trying to, to tell me. Maybe it's not specific, like, oh, that blade of grass fell to the left. I'm going to go to work today. Uh, you know, but it's, <laughs> it, it's this, this, there's, there's a deeper, there's a deeper message here. There's a deeper, deeper meaning. And, and something like that, it's just a more enjoyable pursuit of the faith. At least it has been for me to, to be able to, to see that, to, we've talked before, but to be able to, to eat a meal and just have your heart filled, not just with this physical food of, mm, that was good. My stomach's full, but actually just, you, you sort of have this moment of joy going, Oh, wow. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a sense of gratitude for the Lord that I just, it, it moves my heart. And, and it's hard to get that without some sense of imagination of some sense of there's something deeper to this meal that, I, I can't fully grasp, but I know it's there. I know there's this thing that's that's hinting here, and that's powerful. Mm -hmm. That's a well said. It's um, again, if if we believe the gospel is best told in our bodies, 
especially in marriage. And I don't think it's much of a marriage if you go around and say you hold hands and you say your wife while you're holding hands. Now, what's the deeper meaning? Like, what is God trying to tell us right now? Uh, you know, that didn't work good. for you, Mike. Yeah, it's why you ought to marry a good, you know, Italian woman. She'll go, shut up. <laughs> uh, it's not. Yeah, it's that would be absurd. So, pietism is uh, a, a great deflector of imagination and pietism uh piety means holiness it's that's inherently good pietism is the elevating of a very rationalist all i need is god the holy spirit and the bible and i can know all this stuff um and so pietism says if my heart's right with god god will use me and everything will work out well um and it, it, that that kind of simplicity tends to tends to drive people to you know the blade of grass move what's god telling me or what's god trying to tell me to which you know a more imaginative would say well first of all why do you assume he's trying to tell you anything and second you mean god tries and fails third would the failure be on your end um Yes, you're right. So see, imaginative literature, I can't look at the backyard the same after you read The Great Divorce because, as you know, in chapter 13, the narrator <clears throat> is talking to a man named MacDonald. And uh, Lewis is referenced to probably George MacDonald, who impacted his life, the great writer of fantasy literature. And, but he takes the blade of grass and turns it the other way, takes a very fine point and finds a small crack in the ground and, he says to the narrator, that's hell. And he goes, tiny, tiny crack. But we came up in the bus up to this valley here. The bus went through the crack. He says, yeah, you see, when you're in eternity, hell is, you see, hell is, is smaller than an atom. A bird could swallow hell and feel no ill effects in the bird's body. It just feels large when you're on the earth and it's just, it's tiny. And you begin to go, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but the reason I mentioned that is, you know, the uh, McDonald warns the narrator of the story it's ill to talk too much about eternity because your answers deceive. Mm. The answers deceive because you're looking through what he called the inverted telescope. And uh, so you see but a tiny bit because if you turn it the other way, it would be blinding. But see, even that, that's what imaginative literature does, you go. So for me to treat Genesis as this is the scientific proof with the rock strata and everything that was created in six literal days. Good. So Orthodox, Bible-believing, love Jesus Christians, believe in literal six-day creation. The majority of love Jesus 
literal meaning Christians in Great Britain would disagree. But Great Britain tends to have a more imaginative approach to education. And look where these writers we've been talking about, where they come from. Mm. Even Leslie Newbigin, Church of Scotland missionary, but he has to go all the way to India and the Hindus begin to share with him as they read his Bible. It seems to be a far more imaginative story than he renders it. And so when he came back to Great Britain, he began to write books such as Proper Confidence about, because the scales fell from his eyes. He began to realize how westernized and enlightenment his take on the gospel was and how scripture. So I think, I think we can be as, as orthodox as the day is long. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts to the intentions of the heart. And it is literally true. But just as much or more, it is metaphorically true. There's a unity, a seamlessness, which is what the ancient word shine means. So to shine on something is you see both ends simultaneously and you begin to go, holy mackerel. What's going on here within the beginning? God. 